When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This podcast is sponsored by Royal London, who, as proud sponsors of One Day Cricket, are also the UK's largest mutual life pensions and investment company, providing financial services to millions of people across the country. To find out more, visit www.royallondon.com. Welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. I'm Simon Hughes. And here's a question for you. How do you think you'll be watching cricket in the future? And on what channel or what gadget? The new broadcasting deal for the years 2020 to 2024 is being negotiated as we speak. The bids from all the broadcasters have got to be in by the 30th of June with the decision soon after. And England against South Africa is coming up this week before the Champions Trophy. We'll hear from Alan Donald on South Africa and how he rates their chances in the Champions Trophy. Please continue to leave reviews of this podcast on iTunes. We'd like to know what you think. You can subscribe to the Analyst Inside Cricket so you get the programme automatically each week. You just click on the button where it says subscribe and we'll be releasing a podcast every Monday night throughout the summer. So the new broadcasting deal... Simon, there's a lot of talk about it. What's the process and where where are we at the moment? Each broadcaster has their document, the broadcast document from the ECB, which outlines what's available. And the cricket that is going to be played in those years, 2020 to 2024, is, is sort of broken down into packages, international cricket, the new T20 city based tournament and other cricket. And then it's up to the broadcasters to bid for, for what they think they want and put in an, an amount of money. And it's closed bids, so the Sky or the BT company that will want, say, the international calendar, put in an amount of money in an envelope and what they're looking for. In other words, they might say, well, we want the six test matches and one-day internationals and the T20, and here's an amount of money per year, £120 million, whatever. Then... The ECB will look at all these bids individually, in private, and then come back to the broadcasters with, well, this is the situation, who wants to bid more, you know, who wants to change their bid, so there'll be a second round of those pitches to be able to be the broadcasters of that package. 
obviously nobody knows at this point how many bidders there are going to be, but it's it's there's a lot of jockeying for position, and actually it's it's quite a crafty game. You know, broadcasters saying in the press, well, we we might bid this, and some saying, well, we're not going to bid. It's all a question of uh, manipulation, negotiation, and trying to keep the price as low as possible, not sounding too keen. But reading between the lines, what I think will happen is that Sky want it most of all. They depend on it for a huge amount of their output, and they do you know, a fantastic job. I they can did see... spend a huge amount on the Premier League rights, though, didn't they? They did, but you know, they've got this big hole in their output in the summer... And they've done a huge amount on cricket, and you know they're very much the cricketing broadcasting partner of the ECB. I know that the ECB really only want one satellite partner because if you're sharing the coverage with another satellite broadcaster, in other words, a competitor, you're a little bit more reluctant, perhaps, to promote that sport because you're sort of helping the competitor as well as yourself. So you want to be able to to have it to yourself. So you wouldn't have a situation where. The test matches would be on Sky and the One Day Internationals and T20 Internationals would be on BT. That just wouldn't happen. What I've heard is that there is going to be one main satellite broadcaster that will own the lion's share of it, it, both international cricket and the T20 City Tournament, and that then they will try and get a a terrestrial free-to-air broadcaster for a few of those T20 matches, perhaps two a week, something like that, with the semis and final, also on free-to-air. And then that's open to, you know, your BBC or your Channel 4. I think they could be in for it, a bit of ITV. So, you know, there's going to be quite a lot of jockeying for position for this for this different amount of stuff, which in the end will push the price up. And it could be that Sky bid £120 million a year, that BT fancy it, so they might... You know, go for a bit more, which then pushes Sky to bidding even more, kind of thing. I can see that possibly happening. Is terrestrial television, though, at the heart, or not necessarily at the heart, but it's an important part of the next broadcasting deal? In other words, I mean, could a satellite broadcaster get the whole lot, or is some of it definitely going to be on terrestrial television in the future? I mean, that seems to be the indication that that we've been given that the ECB have, have finally admitted that taking it all off terrestrial television or free-to-air television 2005 is a mistake and it needs to get back into the public consciousness again. It needs to be on free-to-air television. Yeah, I, it does, and for one simple reason... Do you think, that, do you think that it's set in stone now? I, I think it is set in stone, absolutely. I think they, they're, they're certain that they need a terrestrial partner, a free-to-air partner, for the simple reason they get need to get more people watching and playing cricket. And we, we know from... Lots and lots of tweets that I've seen and, and research as well that kids are not playing cricket and not watching cricket. I mean, I've got a, a few here from the other day. Uh, this is James Beasley who says, I know a kid that thinks Andrew Flintoff is a TV star, never knew he was an international cricketer. And another guy, Tom Williams, says, I teach in inner city Southampton when I show the kids a cricket ball, 90% don't know what it is. Andy Stone, my nephew, 14, has no idea what cricket is as his state school does not play and he's never seen it on TV. So that is the next generation. Those are the people who are going to maintain cricket, uh, ensuring its survival. Women as well, girls. 85% of primary school teachers are women. If we want more kids playing cricket, we need to get more women interested in the game therefore doing their primary school PE lessons as cricket rather than gymnastics or athletics or netball. So 
we have to focus on the next generation and the way to do that is terrestrial TV coverage of the game. Uh, one thing that's been talked about in the future is not, you know, we're not, not talking about Sky or BT or the BBC, but we're talking about you know, other companies like Twitter or, or Facebook broadcasting cricket. I and mean, how likely is that to happen in this broadcasting deal? Well, I think it's, it's, it's very likely because, uh, for one thing, they've got huge amounts of money and they've got the, the access to millions more people than a Sky or a BT. I mean, BT had, what, 18 million subscribers i think to their tv channels they get, certainly get access to that many people sky probably 12 12 13 million but you know when you're talking facebook or twitter or something it's it's far far more than that uh, so i think we're almost seeing as a redefinition of what free to air might mean i mean in fact in america we've seen major league baseball covered by facebook once a week and uh, Twitter is also buying live sports. So, well, well NFL's on Twitter on a, on a Thursday night. It was uh, they they bought ten matches last autumn into into December time. So on a, on a Thursday evening, you could watch an, an NFL match anywhere in the world for free. So you know it's it's, it's a fascinating time to see this explosion of platforms, and obviously the way that people consume their media is very different to what it was you know fifteen years ago. I still think, though, that there's a value in a free-to-air coverage of something because you just get that communal experience of everybody sitting around the TV and watching it. But somebody who really knows about this and who's investigated this subject quite closely is the BBC media editor, Amal Rajan, who, by the way, is also a cricket nut, written a book called The Twirly Men, all about the great spin bowlers of, of history. So he knows his cricket and he knows his media very well. And the thing I asked him to start with is how did the ECB get the balance between exposure and revenue in this deal right? Well, I think that there's a tacit admission from the ECB that going 100% away from free-to-air uh, was the wrong move some years ago. I mean, I actually grew up and got into cricket watching it in the early and mid-90s at a time when you could spend all day of your summer holidays um, basically doing absolutely nothing and watching uh, you know, great coverage, first of all, on the BBC and then Channel 4, and I'd happily have watched it anywhere. So I think it was a mistake, and I think that what the ECB have implied with their recent uh, moves is that 100% away from free-to-air is wrong. But then again, as you say, the, um, the revenues are incredibly important, and Sky have generated a lot of revenues and done great things for grassroots um, cricket in particular. Um, but I think that the shift away is going to hopefully make cricket talked about. I think that the really, really important thing that you want with cricket is for it to be part of the national conversation and for people uh, to uh, feel that when they come home from school, um, they can um, possibly you know, engage with it. And not really since 2005 and that uh, very famous Ashes series has cricket been part of the national conversation in a way that it could be. What we don't know, of course, Simon, is whether or not this new T20 tournament will take off. You know, I think there's good reasons for thinking it will. There's very, very exciting players. T20, we know, is very popular, and you can make it look dazzling in the way the IPL over in India is. Um, but if the idea is to bring it back to free-to-wear partly uh, through this new T20 uh, competition, that's a slight unknown. But I think it's a good thing, especially if they can uh, manage to bring in revenues, as you say, as well. But uh, you mentioned free-to-air. Now, in the past, free-to-air has meant BBC, Channel 4, ITV, Channel 5, basically. But now, there is so many more platforms to, to use 
that we're seeing free-to-air uh, defined in a different way and, and even the kind of social media companies coming into the mix. How do you see that play out then? Well, well, that's right. I mean, part of my job actually is, is the uh, BBC's media editors is to get a sense of where these big social media companies, who are, by the way, the most powerful companies in the world, uh, are going. And undoubtedly, uh, these companies do think of themselves as people for whom live video broadcasting is a bigger and bigger part of their future. I spoke uh, just a few weeks ago to a guy called Anthony Noto, who's really the number two at Twitter, chief operating officer there. And he is someone who believes very strongly in, um, you know, sport rights, including baseball, the NFL and so on, being effectively broadcast uh, on Twitter. And the reason um, uh, platforms like Twitter, who have 320-odd million users, or Facebook, which is obviously the biggie, with about two, you know, approaching 2 billion users by this time next year, the reason they're attractive to sports is simply because of eyeballs. I mean, the big revolution with uh, the Indian Premier League was, of course, that you know you could just reach so many people. And I think for any sports administrator, the idea of broadcasting on Facebook uh, and reaching potentially hundreds of millions of people has got to be really, really interesting. So it's tempting. The question is whether or not you'd get the same quality of experience. And I think that the way these companies are moving, and they've just got so much money, Simon, you know, the way they're moving, the chances are they will very soon be able to provide a broadcast experience, basically a viewing experience, which is close to the sorts of things that you and I grew up watching. So I think that the uh, amazing revolution we have in technology and social media is potentially very, very exciting and commercially viable for uh, sports like cricket. So they've got a lot of money to pour into innovation. And also, as you say, they've got the chance to... Um, to offer a very engaged experience. I mean, we talk about, uh, without getting too technical, we talk about lean in and in back consumption. You know, I used to watch cricket in a very lean back way. I'd maybe be sort of uh, watching, um, you know, watching uh, Tony Lewis and all these great, and Richie Benner, all these great broadcasters while sitting back and not doing very much. That was 20, 25 years ago. Nowadays, when people consume media, they're often looking at more than one screen. They're often tweeting about it or commenting about it. They're often sharing links. And I think you could do that on Facebook but can have a very sort of engaged experience in a way that um, really is, is, is new and which broadcasters perhaps can't quite rival. The other thing Simon, worth mentioning is, of course, that I, like you, I imagine, think that one of the futures for cricket is to be a truly global sport, to get away from just the Commonwealth countries. And the fact is, uh, you know, social media platforms like Twitter, like Facebook, have the potential to reach massive massive platforms in countries far away uh, that don't necessarily know about cricket. To take just one example, there's something most people have never heard of. There's a platform in China called WeChat, which is a kind of social media platform and everything else. Uh, it's got 800 million people on it, right? So if you could get less than you know 1% of those people into uh, cricket, you've potentially got 8 million uh, uh, people following cricket closely in a whole new uh, market. I think that's very, very exciting if you're thinking about making the future of the sport viable. Is the one issue that social media platforms face that people are used to watching them on tablets and on phones primarily, not necessarily on big TV screens, and the shared experience and the real uh, penetration of a sport where people are all sat around the TV watching a great event unfold, as I know people obviously did in 2005, the Ashes and you know the Olympics and, and those kind of real iconic events, but also things like the IPL. Um, is that where the social media companies can't quite deliver compared to you know sort of standard broadcast channels? 
Yes, I think that's spot on. I mean, in my experience of, of media, first of all, being at newspapers now, being at the BBC, but also just thinking about the, where media is going, all businesses in the media tend towards one thing, which is convenience. And that's why the mobile, which is the most convenient device ever invented, which is a genius of Steve Jobs and others, uh, is where most media is now increasingly consumed. But the thing about convenience is, though it's very convenient to you know, be able to watch cricket um, uh, in my pocket or, you know, uh, have it on this pocket-sized thing, which I can take anywhere I go, and using 4G technology, you know, really tune in from anywhere. It, it, it's so convenient that I don't have to give anything up to watch that cricket. And sometimes, actually, it's when you make a bit of a sacrifice. It's when you go around to your friend's house and you get a couple of beers going, or, you know, or you... I mean, I'm a great, great fan of um, uh, big screens in parks, which I used to do a lot of as a, uh, a young person, where you get that communal, almost festival feeling, and you're talking to other people. And, you know, it's, it's, it feels... You weren't quite lucky enough to get a ticket to the ground, or maybe you couldn't afford it because you're only 15 years old, but you've got a day out with your mates and, um, and, and all the rest of it. And I think that one danger is that social media platforms create a kind of, you know, although we talk about engagement, they create a slightly looser connection and a less social connection. It's one of the great ironies yeah, of social yeah. media. Actually, maybe social media should be called anti-social media because you end up you end up doing it sort of you know on your mobile at home. So I think there is a bit of a trade-off between um, convenience and sort of uh, sacrifice or commitment. But I would say on balance, the fact is this is where the world's going. You know, people are consuming. You know, you think about your daughters. Think about my son, uh, who's very young, but when he's consuming media, they are consuming media now increasingly online and on mobile. And you know, cricket's got to get with the program and go to where the audiences are, and those audiences are increasingly global and they're increasingly mobile. That's Amal Rajan, who is the BBC media editor. Lots of interesting points there. I'd just like to pick on something we were talking about just just before we heard from Amal. Um, you, you said you could see Twitter or, or, or Facebook being part of the, the, the new rights package, but how would that work with BBC, say, or ITV or Channel 4 or Channel 5 in a, in a free-to-air situation and a satellite broadcast as well? Do you see, do you see it being... Tripartite, three people involved? The difficulty is that, obviously, when you buy these rights for, let's say, £500 for a four-year contract, you're expecting a certain amount of exclusivity for that. And if the coverage is being leaked out to a terrestrial station and also online as well, you haven't got as much control, you haven't got as much ownership. But at the same time, the way that the broadcast landscape is changing, I guess you have to be a bit more tolerant of, of that yeah. kind of thing. So you could have a, a tripartite arrangement where you have Sky with the, the bulk of it, you have BBC getting, say, 10 games of the T20 City Tournament and a couple of T20 Internationals, and then maybe a Facebook or a Twitter doing a live game a week as well and mainly putting it online so that the game is the one that benefits in the end and each one of those broadcasters has to make the most of what they've got. I wonder whether the next broadcasting deal is not necessarily the deal for Twitter, Facebook, that sort of organisation, but it would be the, the one after. I would think in 2005, I think there was a sense that mm. you know, the landscape was changing so quickly or, or perhaps 2011 when the last broadcasting deal was, was negotiated, the landscape was going to change really quickly and that it wasn't going to be the same next time round. But actually, it's, it is sort of the same, isn't it? I know they're, mm. I know they're circling with their millions, these uh, social media companies in the background, but are, are they ready to, to pounce this time or is it going to be the next time? I think you have to look at America for, for that sort of answer and it's, uh, it started happening there, so... It's it's going to happen here shortly. 
I mean, if we, I've got a, a graphic on my screen here just showing the the revenue of some of these companies, and they dwarf traditional broadcasters. You've got BBC, 5 billion revenue, obviously mainly from the taxpayer, ITV, 3 billion, Sky, 11 billion, BT, 18 billion, but then you go Amazon, 57 billion, Google, 42 billion, Facebook, 8 billion, so that's twice as much as the BBC, pretty much. And the biggest one of all, Apple, 113 billion. But they don't tend to buy content. They just provide hardware. So in a way, I think that the big competitors are going to be Facebook, Twitter, maybe Netflix, people like that who are looking to get some kind of live toehold into the sports market. And they see the, the value of advertising in that in that market as well. I, I, I liked um, Amel's uh, description of the, the change in people's broadcasting habits. It used to be lean back. You know, sitting on the sofa, yeah. or if you're watching the West Indies behind the sofa, uh, and now it's much more lean in, where you know you're watching the game, but also you're tweeting or, or posting online on a, on a second screen. So there is opportunities for more broadcasters now because of that sort of second screen phenomenon. Yeah, the great thing from the ECB's point of view is there are lots of companies out there who seem to be interested in, in showing cricket. For cricket's point of view, it's just got to be seen, hasn't it? It's just got to be seen more. And it's got to be explained as well because we've got so many people who haven't watched the game. You know, the person in the Southampton Inner City School who said kids don't know what a cricket ball is, they're not going to know what LBW is or hit the wicket or whatever either. So I think it's going to be vital with these new broadcasters to not only cover it, but cover it in a very inclusive way so that we dis- demystify it for the next generation. I know what we need. We need someone like um, um, the analyst. yes. <laughs> someone like the analyst. Yes, yeah. and a bit of jargon busting. <laughs> Coming up after the break, we're going to talk about England against South Africa and that one-day series and the Champions Trophy with Alan Donald. Well, welcome back. That was a look into the future. Let's deal with more pressing matters now. England against South Africa starts on Wednesday, the first of three one-day internationals, Wednesday, Saturday, and then Monday at Lords, and the Champions Trophy gets underway. What about this South African team? Number one in the world. It's going to be fascinating to see how they get on against England. We've got two real heavyweights coming together this week. It'll be exciting as well to see how England are with their Butler and Stokes and Wokes back from the IPL. So you're right, it absolutely is heavyweights. And I think we've seen South Africa, don't we, haven't we, in the, the last year or so out over there. And they won the Series 3-2 against England after being 2-0 down. And they just have a lot of depth. They have, uh, obviously, a lot of skill. They have a, a very potent bowling attack, even without Dale Stain. And it's just that the players that perhaps won't be that familiar to, to people here, like, for instance, Quinton de Kock, the opening batsman and wicketkeeper he comes out number one looks a bit like a 12 year old boy he's certainly slender looks very young in the face don't think he's started shaving yet but my goodness me when he gets hold of the ball he's, he's like Adam Gilchrist you've got to get him early if he, if he gets going you're in you're in big trouble he made two hundreds in that series against England last time you mentioned that they won three two he started with a hundred against Sussex he, he, he it's very hard to hold him if he gets in. And he doesn't stop either because he's not one of those who, who gets a quick 50. He gets hundreds. He scored, I think, 12 one-day hundreds already and he's only 
23, 24 years old. Yeah, he's 24, he's made 12 one-day hundreds. And you, you're talking about not stopping. That match in Bloemfontein, which, which did stop in the end because of that amazing thunderstorm, yeah. he was 138 not out with plenty of power to add. Right. They, I think there's 15 they, overs to go. They needed game. 400 to win, and they were yeah. something like 250 for five. Stokes took that amazing catch to get rid of, of De Villiers. But, but De Kock was, I mean, he could have got double hundred, and South Africa won the game, but he was halted by that amazing thunderstorm. So, I mean, he is a player to look out for. Whether he can reproduce it, it, this time of year in mm. England where you might just nick off early well remains to be seen but well, we're expecting a good week of weather in the lead up to the Champions Trophy anyway so I mean he's, he's a player I'm really looking forward to seeing we haven't even mentioned A.B. de Villiers yet no, either no. and uh, I mean you no, know, he actually hasn't played in the warm-up matches for South Africa they pulverised Sussex and beat North Ants a little more narrowly but they were just warming up obviously Faf du Plessis, I really like as a cricketer. I think he's someone who... Remember when he made that 100 in Australia in that Adelaide day-night test match? And he's just... He's got that bit between his teeth, hasn't he? He's really determined. And a brilliant fielder, as well as a very adaptable batsman. And they've just got so many interesting players that probably a lot of English fans won't necessarily know because they've only come into the side in the last two or three years. Well, Rabada is, is one a player to look out for. Obviously, they're one of their main bowlers can, can bat a little bit as well. He is going to be an exceptionally good cricketer. They've still got Mornay Morkel. There's Amla as well. I mean, they're, 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 Imran Tahir yeah. is, is in the top five in the ICC rankings as bowlers. So, you know, they've got two bowlers and batsmen in the top five of the rankings De Villiers and Duplessis in the batting. And Tahir and Rabada in the bowling. So, you know, they've, they're the only side with four players in the top five rankings batting and bowling, which is just shows how good they are. And they're damn good in the field as well. I can't believe that someone like JP Dooman is still in the team. I, I know. I, he's I been agree, around yeah. for so long, but yeah. he's still going. And he still has to play. It's just, it's just part. Of, well, it's the African name of team. <laughs> JP yeah. Dooman has to play. That's right. Yeah. Amazing, isn't it? We've both been speaking to. Alan Donald, who's not with South Africa this time, he's he's hard to keep track sometimes of where, who Alan is is working for. He's trying to sort well, out that's, his, that's his job, right. job I mean, with it, Ken. He's a, worked with England, hasn't yeah, he? There's, uh, there's he's now a, working with Sri Lanka. There's a feigned irony in, in in that you know here's a guy who's taken 400 Test wickets, played uh, you know for South Africa probably best part of 10 years, played county cricket for Warwickshire for almost a decade as well, and he can't get a job with with Kent coaching their bowlers because he hasn't got level two coaching. So, so it's it's a slight uh, aberration, I suppose, or an anomaly, really. But you're right, he's been England bowling coach in the past. He's currently working with Sri Lanka. Unfortunately, he hasn't quite yet got his qualifications, but he's a great man. And interestingly, he's very bullish about South Africa's prospects in the Champions Trophy. I saw a quote from A.B. de Villiers the other day while he was, I think someone asked him during, during the IPL what, it, what were his thoughts on on South Africa's chances. And he said, we, we, we've never been ready for an ICC event than, than this one, you know? So, um, look, they're playing, they're playing very, very good cricket. Um, uh, they're, they're, it's a fine side. I think the balance they've got is, is tremendous. You know, I mean, you just look at their squad, um, and, and what they, what they, what they can produce. And I think, I think that there's, there's some players there that, that has announced themselves lately that I think that will really, um, give South Africa extra depth. And in the terms of, I'm talking about Morris, and I think Morris for me has just been a revelation with the ball. He's had a very good uh, IPL. And also the, the, the contributions that he's given with the bat has been superb. Uh, you know, he's, so South Africa can win games from very, very deep. So, yeah, I think um, 
you know, they're, they're obviously got a fantastic chance of going all the way in this in this championship. I mean, uh, there's no no doubt about it. But um, it's such a cutthroat competition that that I think the one thing that this this tournament brings up is the fact that um, you can't afford any slip ups. You can't afford many mistakes, if any, um, in in this tournament. And I think that's where most teams, in fact, all teams, will be severely tested. Um, so you're coming to this tournament where you got to, you know, you, you really need to hit the ground running, um, and um, you know, confidence and, and momentum is a massive key to winning this this competition. No, Dale Stain. But what, what about Rabada? Not as his replacement because he's been in the South African side for a while now. I, I mean, how highly do you rate Rabada? Is, is he the, is he sort of the, the one to take over from Dale Stain? Yeah, I think he's. I think he's just a wonderful kid. Um, you know, he, he just brings everything that a coach dreams about: the attitude, um, skill, um, performance, consistency. And I think the one thing that he's done so well in his young career that he's been very consistent in in pretty much all forms of the game. Um, so, uh, and he's he's just a, a freaking hard trier. He, he he really does. You know, he's he's. Doesn't take a backward step. He reminds me a lot of Makai and Tini in the way that he um, he's, he just keeps coming all day. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I, look, I I hope that obviously Dale's going to miss the Test series, which is going to be a real um, um, loss for South Africa. But uh, I think, when in terms of what Rabada brings to the attack now, and then it's almost like he's the leader of the attack now. You know, with Mornay Morkel, uh, you know Wayne Parnell. Depends who they play. Morris and 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 it's and the list goes on. So there's no doubt that Stain will be greatly missed. And um, but I think this one day team has played together for so long, or for for a, you know over the last six eight six to eight months without Dale Stain in it because of his injury. I think they've gelled really well together, and and they've really established a. A confidence there that um, you know that 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 is uh, as the South African attack and can rely on with, without Dale Stain at the moment. It's hard to do an interview, and forgive me for this, Alan. It's hard to do an interview about South Africa's chances in a one-day tournament without bringing up the C word, uh, the, the, the choke <laughs> I knew word. This was coming. But is that is that a is that a myth, or is it something that is sort of in the back of the minds of South African cricketers when they approach a tournament like this? It'll always be there. There's no doubt, you know. And I think that one thing that Gary Kirsten brought to the team when he was coach in 2012, and he he basically said to the team that we need to embrace it. We we really need to. We can't hide from the fact that we we haven't got over the line in previous events, and and that's that's a, that is an absolute fact. So um, yes, 2015 World Cup when I was with Proteas, um, we obviously lost fair and square to New Zealand. Um, you know, there was all sorts happening behind the scenes there, but uh, but um, but I think that you know the South Africans definitely have lived with that sort of thing, and they know, and we all know, and and from past experiences that the only way to, to shake that off and um, is to um, is to get over the line, and 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 uh, you know with this this South African team now, it's, uh, I, I reckon they you know they've got pretty much all the guns on all the corners covered in terms of um, um, players and strengths. Um, so, 
but yeah, you're right. Um, and, and that thing is is always going to be a ling- linger for them. And um, and you know, I've I've had to put up with that for a long time. I was going to say, <laughs> you know, talking about going getting over the line, you were the one <laughs> stuck, sort of marooned in mid pitch in '99 at Edgebaston. Do you still have some nightmares about that? <laughs> It'll always be with me, Yaza. I can honestly say that. Um, it'll always be in my memory for as long as I'm around. You know, the dreaded ground, it's it's amazing. I was at Edgebaston last year and I sort of had a little <laughs> stroll out to the middle of the pitch there on my own and, uh, and and went through that sort of thought process of bloody hell, you know, it was that, it was, it was that close and, and, and no cigar. But um, I suppose that will always be in the, in the cricket history books for forever in terms of the biggest um you know the biggest uh, mistake or bugger up you've ever seen in your life <laughs> well that's alan donald very honest as well you know, it is still an issue and until they win an international tournament that the c word the, the choke word will hang around them i'm sure you know the, the first south africa captain or first press conference that south africa go into before the champions trophy that question will come up it's something they have to overcome and I suppose that's the problem in a way that it it always is brought up so you can't escape it because the media will always bring it up it's such a an interesting phenomenon the whole business of choking which you see not only in team sports but actually more specifically in in individual sports like in golf it's it's particularly prevalent there was obviously that case of Jordan Spieth in the Masters last year who you know going into the, the last six, seven holes was was leading comfortably, and he fluffed his lines on a short hole. I think it was the twelfth. Hit into the lake a couple of times, and suddenly got a double, triple bogey, and, and he was gone. And I remember him saying after that uh, event, "What I should have done was just breathe, take some deep breaths." That's what South Africa are going to have to do as well. You can't really shut out those things that have happened in the past, even though those players were not involved in, say, the 99 World Cup or the, the 2003 cock-ups. Um, so or, or even the semi-final def- defeat. I mean, a few of them were there. They, they yeah. were in 2015. So you've just got to sort of there. separate yourself from that in a way. Uh, but I think, you know, clearly what psychologists say, if sportsmen are getting to climaxes, is is just take lots of deep breaths and try and relax and... And, and it, divorce yourself from whatever's happened in the past, one ball as it comes, all that sort of crap. But it actually works. Mm. You know, I think if you try and sort of break it down into those individual moments and don't think about the bigger picture, and that's what they have to do. Unfortunately, the press are going to keep reminding them of mm. it. And they were a bit unlucky in 2015 because I think they would have won that semi-final if it hadn't rained. It just halted the momentum of their innings when they were batting first. They would have got a massive score, and I think it might have been too many for... New Zealand, well, then New Zealand played. And of course, New Zealand did hold their nerve in that in that final over when Grant Elliott hit. And then they Dale choked. For six. Then they choked in the final. Yeah. And talking of, of choking, by the way, um, think of this: when I was walking out to bat against Alan Donald uh, in his heyday in the sort of l- early nineties, the pitches at Edgbaston were quite difficult. They were dodgy. There was a ridge at one end, and he was operating one day uh, on this ridge uh, from the far end, bowling in towards the pavilion. And I had to go in at night watchman. And he was bowling at the speed of light with this ridge as well. And the worst thing is, as I was walking out onto the field, the keeper, Keith Piper and the slips, were actually outside the 30-yard circle. It was a championship game, but the dots from the 30-yard circle discs were still visible. 
and the keeper and the sits were actually outside the 30-yard circle. They were closer to the boundary than the wicket. So that certainly makes you choke when, you run it, when, you, when you're walking into bat. He was incredibly fast. The only saving grace about Donald facing him was that you could see the ball. Yeah, he had this fantastic action. The ball was presented very much in front of his face with the wrist cocked. And then he had this very clear action as the ball came over and as the arm came over and the ball came out you could see the ball but it was too quick to actually be able to hit it whereas at least you know with some bowlers someone like Wazim Akram you couldn't see his arm come over never mind the ball but with Donald you could see the ball but it just came so fast you couldn't hit it so he took guard how long did he last for I, I, t- I can claim that I actually hooked Alan Donald for six <laughs> But anyone who was there will realise that actually it was a, a short ball which reared up at me and I tried to sort of fend it off and it went off my glove straight over the keeper's head for six into the pavilion. Did he survive the night? I did survive the night, actually. And the, and the next morning? No. no. I was soon out the next morning. Well, he, I survived the night mainly because every ball that he bowled went straight over my head. Well, you did your job. You got it to the next morning, I suppose. <laughs> it, was, it was absolutely terrifying. Well, I can imagine. Um, Let's um, wrap up. Let's have our player of the week. I, I, I nominate Kumar Sangakara as our Royal London player of the week this week. He is on four successive championship hundreds. He's on, he's on for to equal the record, which and, is six. Yeah. And who, who are the people who hold the record? I know one of them is Mike Proctor. Yes. And the other one, going back a little bit further, it's someone called C.B. Fry. Right, OK, well done. C.B. Fry from 1900s, the golden age of cricket. Should have known that. Yeah, I should have done, but I didn't. <clears throat> and he was the man who you know, won the long jump and the 100 metres yeah. and was offered the throne of Albania Bain, yeah. and played football for whoever as well. Uh, you know, the original all-round sportsman. And Mike Proctor, serious cricketer too. My goodness me. Six, six hundreds in a row, and he was really, really a fast bowler. I wonder if anyone's ever walked past their own portrait in the long room or the, or the Lord's Pavilion and walked out and actually made a hundred. I don't suppose that's ever happened before. Of course, Sangakara had this uh, portrait commissioned just before he arrived at Laws for Surrey and uh, honoured them with two hundreds in the game. Yeah, well, he's in, he's in brilliant form. Of course, Surrey also into the the next stages, the knockout stages of the Royal London One Day Cup as well. They've got a tough match away to Yorkshire. Let's finish with our, our highlight, low light. low light. I'm, I'm going to do the low light. Well, my low light is uh, is the IPL final uh, yesterday. It was a really, I thought it was a really poor game that had a great finish. People say, oh, you know, f- fantastic. And it did have a tremendously exciting climax, but it was a, it was a really poor game of cricket. I thought a poor, sort of poor advert for, for, for T20, low scoring, not an, not an easy pitch, but I thought Rising Pune Supergiant got it so wrong the, the way they batted. They, they did not sense the danger that was coming their way. Steve Smith, 51 off, off 50 balls. He, he tr- you could see what he was trying to do. But actually, it it didn't work. It, it, it was a fail, really. And I mean, it's a game they should have had in their pocket, and they, they just weren't quite proactive enough, aggressive enough. I, I thought the way they played was really poor. Well, from the sublime to the ridiculous, uh, my highlight of the week is going to my parents' house on Saturday to celebrate my good old dad's ninety fifth birthday, and also my sister Bethany's fiftieth. And uh, we had tea, and then, you know, the inevitable game of cricket happened in the garden afterwards. And the kids, there were about six of them, were playing until 10.30 or 11 o'clock at night. It was pitch dark outside. How did they see the ball? They used their mobile phones to illuminate the ball with the light 
on their mobile phones. So for all those people who are saying you've got to get kids away from their devices and outside to play, well, they were outside playing with their devices as a, a vital accessory. Right, absolutely fantastic. A highlight of the floodlights used Yeah, the floodlights. The phones, I mean, I've, of course, I'm paying the bills for all these damn phones, <laughs> so I, I suppose at least they put them to good use in, in an outdoor capacity. A great highlight to finish on. Join us again next week. We'll speak to you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.